Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. This is Molly. And I'm Kristen. Kristen, one of our old episodes dealt with the question, is living together before marriage a good idea? I recall that one, yes. And it was all about, you know, if your ultimate goal is marriage, will living together ruin it? Will it make a marriage stronger? So on and so forth. But one thing that often comes up, you'll see studies about it all the time, headlines designed to scare you, in my opinion, that say that when two people move in together, they are destined to get fat. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of like the love weight, if you will. Once you start, you know, you start dating someone, you want to look really good the first few dates, you know, then, then you become BFGF. And then all of a sudden you can't fit into your jeans. Right. And they imply that especially once you're living with someone and, you know, instead of going out for, you know, dinners and, and the like, you're ordering pizza every night, you're getting Chinese. Yeah, you're home in front of the television. Mm -hmm. You're not out and about doing dates anymore. Yeah, you're you're in a routine. (laughs) Your cute Friday dress turns into Friday sweatpants. Friday's moo moo. (laughs) Yeah, Friday. Yes. But okay, so let's say that you have been living with someone, you've gained all your love weight, and now you and your beloved are going to go on a joint diet. Yeah, his, hers diet. You can lose weight together, right? And we're saying, we're saying his, hers because the question of today's episode is, do men lose weight faster than women? Because there may be two women living together. There might be two guys living together, but the question of the day concerns men and women. And this, let's say these boyfriend, girlfriend are going on the, the love diet together. Yeah, ladies, you might get a little frustrated if you try to go pound for pound with your BF because statistically speaking, he has a much better chance of losing not only more weight than you, but more weight faster. So, yes, today's podcast is going to be really frustrating for you women out there. But before we get into the men versus women thing. I think it's frustrating to compare yourself to anyone when you're trying to lose weight. Exactly. Because we all lose weight differently, and it's not always within our control, despite the fact that we think that weight is something that, you know, we can take off if we just eat right and exercise. Mm -hmm. It's not true. And that was highlighted by an article we found called, Why Can't I Lose Weight? (laughs) by Elaine McGee from WebMD. So let's talk about people who just can't seem to take it off. Yeah, I mean, there are just going to be individual differences with how everyone loses weight. And, I mean, I think we should also preface this by saying, you know, this is not everyone has to. This isn't me and Molly saying that everyone needs to go out and get on a treadmill or hop on, uh, get on some kind of newfangled diet or anything like that. But I think when, you know, when you want to shed some pounds, I think it is important to arm yourself with this kind of knowledge and know what to expect from your body because everybody is a little bit different. Like snowflakes. Like snowflakes. For instance, um, some people have low resting metabolic rates and some people have high resting metabolic rates. In other words, some people's bodies simply burn calories more efficiently than others. And according to one researcher in this article from OBMD, 
Differences in those metabolic rates can explain up to 22 pounds of weight gain. Wow. Wow. That's, that's like th- three babies, I think. <laughs> three birth weights. Yeah. Just, just from metabolic rate. It's pretty significant. Um, and then of course there are, um, differences in how everyone experiences hunger, satisfaction, and stress because all of those things are interrelated because you can, you know, be on the treadmill or lifting weights or doing whatever kind of exercise all day long. But of course you got to feed your body, you know, and, uh, <clears throat> and some people just have an easier time sticking to, a healthier diet than others might. Some people just have, uh, we did an episode on food cravings a long, long time ago. And, uh, as you'll learn, if you listen to it, food cravings are a pretty, um, intensive neurological thing that happens to us that can be really, really hard to silence. And if you throw stress into that mix, it's just, you know, you're going to go running for those cupcakes or those, uh, pizza rolls, you know, pretty, pretty fast. Well, and just stress in general, even if you're not stress eating, it can, it can take weight off. It can put weight on seemingly by magic, by magic. Um, here's another thing. Did you know that exercise and your desire to do it might be controlled by a gene? Yeah, I thought this was interesting. Right. According to this researcher at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, 25 to 50% of an individual's propensity for voluntary exercise might be due to a gene. And the reason they know that is because in their labs, they have these mice that they genetically bred uh, to like running on wheels, as mice mice do, <laughs> creatures in the mice family. Uh-huh. And uh, so they say that this might be a new emerging uh, field of research to see if we can tinker with that gene and people to get them to like exercising more. And it's interesting you say that because, for instance, uh, my sister and I, we are completely opposite in terms of exercise. I, I really enjoy exercise and I need it to to keep me sane, whereas it's, it's pulling teeth mm-hmm. for her. She just doesn't doesn't like it. So maybe I don't know, maybe that's that's some kind of genetic difference. Between us, I don't know, but there's also um, preliminary preliminary research on whether or not um, your mother's diet, while uh, you, she was pregnant with you, has an impact on your weight. If she, supposedly, if she ate a high fat diet while she was pregnant, um, it m- might predict weight gain or excessive weight as you age, and then also the food you ate as a toddler might affect how you gain weight as an adult. Basically, the healthier the diet that you were raised on, then the healthier the adult you emerge, supposedly. So thanks for eating all those Krispy Kreme donuts, Mom. Thank you, Mom. When you were pregnant. So yeah, I mean, the, the what we're trying to say here is that we have all of these variables already tossed into the mix. And now let's talk about Gender. The heart of our argument, and it in fact makes up one of the largest sections of McGee's article on WebMD. And, you know, it's not, I don't think these, any of these will come as a shocker to anyone, but I think that when you're on a diet or when you're trying to lose weight, you can get so tunnel focused on that number on the scale Mm -hmm. that it's important to remember, like, just don't, don't compare yourself to other people. We're all different. First of all, men have more muscle mass. Yes, men naturally have more muscle. They're built to be 
larger and leaner than us women who have more fat tissue on our body. And since men have more muscle mass, that means they simply burn more calories faster. Right. It just burns burns more calories at all times, at rest and exercise. And so, you know, one tip that they do give women over and over again is don't be afraid to do weight training. Don't be afraid to lift really heavy weights because your body's not designed to get that muscular, but building up your muscle will help you get more of that resting calorie burn. Right, because even even at rest, men's metabolic rates tend to be a lot higher than women's just because of that difference in ratio between muscle tissue versus fat tissue. Now, when we get into the fat tissue, men and women store their fat in different places and burn it differently when they're uh, drawing on energy from their body. And this is where we come to something I like to call apples and pears. <laughs> um, basically, men tend to gain their weight in the midsection in their belly, and they form shapely little apples <laughs> when they when they expand <laughs> and women tend to turn into pears because we deposit our extra body weight in our hips, our legs and our behinds. Kristen, if you could be described as any fruit, what fruit would you want to be described as? Um, papaya. Okay. Just wanted to know. Just a fun fact. I wanted to, I wanted to find out about you. And the reason it matters whether you're an apple or a pear, according to one researcher at UC Berkeley, is that fat around the gut is more actively recruited during times of energy need. So it's going to be easier to lose than fat on the legs and hips. So if both of you are out on a jog together, a side-by-side jog, the lady is pulling her fat from her thighs. Man is pulling it from his abs. Mm -hmm. He's burning more of it. It's not fair. But also to go into, as long as we're talking about exercise... Uh, because men usually weigh more to start with, they can burn more calories in the same same time to run than a woman can. Right. Researchers from Syracuse University compared men and women walking and running the same distance at the same speed, okay, to see how many calories they burned. And they found that men burned an average of 124 calories when running and 88 calories when walking. Whereas women who going the same distance at the same speed burned an average of 105 calories when running and 78 calories when walking. So it's not an astronomical difference, but it's a difference, but, <laughs> but it is a difference. So let's talk about diet, Kristen. Uh, one of our resources for this podcast was from the USDA. Uh, a piece of work called Gender Differences in Body Fat Utilization During Weight Gain, Loss, or Maintenance. And another one of the gender differences that they pointed out, which I found really interesting, is that the type of food being eaten by women is more important when it comes to weight loss than it is for men. So this is another place where cohabitation, for example, can really mess you up if you're a lady on a diet because Uh, According to them, and I was kind of surprised by this, I think that, you know, this is one of those things you just kind of have to find out for yourself what works. The more fat women eat, the more likely they are to have too much body fat, whereas the more carbohydrates women eat, the less likely they are to have too much body fat. So that seems to suggest a high-carb diet. I know a lot of women who've had success with low-carb diets, so that's why I'm sort of putting a caveat there. But basically, the way our bodies process these foods 
it's much different than the way the guys are processing these foods. Yeah, it seems like women's bodies might just be more sensitive to the macronutrient ratios, as the USDA terms it. But those kind of, you know, fats versus carbs, whatever, um, than, than men. You know, men just might be able to, they can just eat, <laughs> eat more of what they kind of want to eat. I mean, obviously- and I think we've all seen that in action. <laughs> well, sure. And I mean, and this isn't to say that they can go and just eat whatever junk food they want to they want men want to go eat and and be fine. No. I mean, the the USDA clearly states that eating too many calories is going to make anyone become fat, but women's bodies are just a little more sensitive to all that. And speaking of food <laughs> and sensitivity to it and sensitivity to it. Women, as we discussed way back when with the uh, the food cravings episode, are more susceptible to giving into food cravings. And we've got to talk about this article. It was uh, from Time Magazine. It reports on a study done by Dr. Jean-Jack Wang at Brookhaven National Laboratory. And it's about a study that I just, I don't know if you could pay me money to be in this study, Kristen. I just would, I would fail. I would fail the study so hard. <laughs> Yeah, Dr. Wang took a group of um, male and female volunteers, all of whom were in they were in good health, um, average weight, average weight. Yeah, and they told them first to fast for, for seventeen seven, hours. For seventeen hours. Failure point number one <laughs> for Molly. Yeah, so they're fasting for seventeen hours. Okay, and while they're fasting, the researchers interviewed them about their favorite foods and had them rank. Each of their favorite foods on a one to ten scale to find out what their absolute <laughs> their Achilles heel in terms of food was. Yeah, um, and so then uh, then when the seventeen hours of fasting were up, the volunteers were then placed in a PET scanner and were then presented with the food they craved, so that the researchers could see how their brains reacted in the presence of this food. Because not only are they being presented with this this food that they adore, but it's after 17 hours of fasting. After 17 hours, and it's not just like, you know, they're holding a plate of unappetizing, like, tacos in front of you. They're saying, oh, here are these tacos, and we, we made this guacamole fresh. Yeah. And, uh... That this pico we flew in straight from Mexico. It's the best pico de gallo in the world. And, uh, if it had a smell, like say you said that you loved ribs, you can smell that barbecue sauce. Yeah. They actually warmed the food in microwaves to, to get a wafting, wafting scent of the food. So they couldn't, they couldn't even avoid the smell. And just to make matters worse, they gave, <laughs> I thought, I thought this was the cruelest part of the study because the people still haven't eaten. And the researchers gave them a cotton ball <laughs> with a bit of their favorite food on it just for the tiniest taste. Just just a, a tiny piece of that greasy taco meat that you so desire. So they they can see the people's brains in these pet scanners just going crazy. Yeah. they The people want the food. Um, you know, it is time to eat. And then here's where it gets awful. Dr. Wang says, you know what? You need to think about something else. You can't have this food. 40, for the next 40 minutes, I'm going to keep this food right here. You're going to look at it and, uh, you can smell it, 
but you can't have it. Think about something else. And they had to keep their eyes open. They couldn't just close yeah. <laughs> close it off. Failure point number two <laughs> for myself. And so what they did find was that these people were able to actually lower their feelings of hunger. Um, it was like their brains would get used to that feeling of being hungry for 17 hours and they could sort of desensitize themselves from the fact that they had, you know, cotton balls with barbecue sauce so nearby. Um, but what they found was that the women would think about the food much more than the men who could really suppress these desires for their favorite foods. Yeah, the way Time described it was that the, the women continued having emotional cravings for the food, even if their hunger had gone away, whereas the guys were able to just kind of shut it off. And that's something that we we kind of highlighted in that that food cravings episode where um, women do have a much more uh, kind of emotional, I guess, attachment to food in that way. Like our, our amygdalas get involved a lot. This, you know, our very like energetic center, a little pocket of our brain um, that gets really upset if we can't have this food that we're craving. Um, so, uh, Dr. Wang saw similar results in this PET scanner study that also indicates that, yeah, if, if, if you're, if you're dieting with your husband or your boyfriend, like there's a decent chance that he's going to have an easier time sticking to that than you might. Yeah. Because I know that once I started thinking about tacos, which I am now, thanks to this podcast, it's, it's going to be a long day. Yeah. Long day of thinking about tacos. And then again, you know, there are individual differences. Some people are just, you know, have amazing willpower when it comes to those sorts of things. But I mean, if we're just talking in gender generalizations, which we specialize in, which we do, uh, yeah, women, we, we, we got a hard road ahead of us. But, I mean, you know, one thing, if Krista and I can't tie it back to hormones, we like to tie it back to evolution. And there is some, some evidence that it was because we needed to be nice and hearty for when there were times of starvation in our past. Now, as if we haven't discouraged women enough, Molly, against any sort of weight loss plans or goals, aspirations, etc. Here's the final kicker, ladies. Um, we gain weight over our lifetimes about 20 years longer than men anyway. In, uh, in men, this is according to a health overview in the New York Times, men's BMIs tend to increase until they're 50 and then it kind of levels off. Their weight sort of plateaus. Now in women, our BMI tends to increase until 70. So until it is plateaus. one reason to look forward to getting older until <laughs> we hit 70 <laughs> your weight will level off and then we happy can, birthday your weight is leveling off at this year yeah we can eat what we want and not only that we also have three major risk periods and it, risk i say risk and with air quotes uh, she did she just did the air quotes <laughs> risk periods for weight gain um, according to the New York Times, which, uh, the first one is the onset of menstruation. And then we have after pregnancy and then right after menopause. So every milestone in a woman's life, you can, can <laughs> we, eagerly await a weight gain. We celebrate it with adding, adding more pounds. Men don't have these kind of high risk periods in their lives like we do. So, uh, 
what what is all this to say, Molly? Should we just throw our hands up and stop um, you know, fretting so much over our bodies and just give in to these high risk periods in our lives? No, I and think- wait for seventy. <laughs> wait for seventy. Yeah. Um that's gonna be the title of my new book, Waiting Till Seventy. <laughs> um no, I think that you know, the whole reason we wanted to do this podcast was just to show women that you can't compare yourself to others. And you know, this it really speaks to all sorts of comparisons you can make. We've talked before about not comparing yourself to women in magazines because they've been airbrushed. Yeah. And now you can't compare yourself to the men you know. And don't compare yourself to the women you know because as we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast, maybe those women have different genes. They're acting in different ways exactly. that we don't even know about yet. So different maternal diets. <laughs> exactly. You can just walk around and blame your mother for everything. <laughs> well, but here, here's one thing, though, that we need to take a cue that we need to take from men in terms of weight and perception and all of this. All right. There was a study from Harvard about how men and women judge their own body weights. And it found not surprisingly that women are a lot harsher on themselves in terms of how they, how they view their body in terms of whether they are overweight or average weight. Um, we actually have a, um, a more accurate perception of our own weight, whereas men just kind of tend to think that they're, they look fine, whether they're overweight or, or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's kind of interesting that, uh, that men are just kind of, uh, all together, kind of happy-go-lucky in terms of their own bodies. Well, I think it speaks to confidence, and I think that that's a factor that a lot of women lack. Right. And, you know, the point of the podcast was not to say, you know, you can't control this, eat whatever you want, don't exercise, whatever. We're all for healthy exercise, a a healthy diet that, you know, you can indulge in moderation. And loving the skin you're in. Exactly. It's it's our three-step Three-step plan. Right. I'm sure no one has thought of these three steps before. <laughs> but just, again, don't compare yourself to other people. It, right. It leads to no good. And while it might sound like, the, you know, the last 15 minutes or so was just a laundry list of, uh, of negative bullet points about being a woman and trying to maintain a healthy weight... The point is, you know, to as a you know, as a woman and as a guy, as anybody, uh to arm yourself with with this kind of knowledge so that you can be realistic about your expectations uh for losing weight and being healthy and um you know, and how fast you can expect those kind of changes to occur. And for women, you know what? It might just take us a little bit longer and that's okay. Exactly. So there you go. Well, on that note, shall we read some mail from our listeners? I would love to. I have one here from Chelsea, and it's about our episode entitled Why Don't Boys Play the Harp, which was about musical instruments and gender. And Chelsea writes, I've been playing the trumpet since I was 10. In grade five, when the school took us on a field trip to the middle school most of us would be attending, we got to choose our instruments for band. I tried every instrument but liked trumpet the best. I didn't think it was a big deal until we got back to school and my music teacher told me that the trumpet is too difficult for girls to play and that I should try the flute. The next year in band, I got the highest grade in the class. The year after that, I got asked to join the senior jazz band and played just about every solo in band class with the trumpet. My former music teacher was shocked that I did so well. I never told her, yes, it was a woman who told me that, that she was the reason that I practiced every day for two hours after school. 
My male trumpet counterparts over the years haven't been very excited over the fact that I can play music that they can't, but that just gave me more reason to improve. I joined both junior jazz band and senior jazz band, concert band, and played in the pit band for our school's musical productions. I'm 18 now, and although I haven't picked up my horn since I graduated this year, it still feels good to know that I beat that stereotype and all the people who didn't believe in me. Way to go. Well, I got an, an email here also about our episode on why don't boys play the harp. And it is from Michael, who is 12 years old, and he is a 7th grader in Kenya. He said, I'm in the advanced band in my school, and I've noticed a lot of the stuff you guys said was true. I'm sure if I decided to play the flute, my friends would never talk to me again. One thing different here is that both guys and girls almost equally play the clarinet in my band. Seven guys to seven girls to be exact. I wanted to mention this because Kristen, I think, made a comment about just giving a girl a clarinet. And I thought I'd just say that those stereotypes aren't always true. As with most stereotypes, Michael. Um, so thanks so much for the emails. Keep them coming. Momstuff at HowStuffWorks.com. And of course, you can always friend us on Facebook or fan us, I guess I should say. On I think they like us. Or like us. Just <laughs> do whatever on Facebook. <laughs> do something with us on Facebook, please. Um, and then you can follow us on Twitter. It's MomStuffPodcast. And then finally, you can read our blog during the week. It's Stuff Mom Never Told You, and it's at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?